Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Common Sense Finance Podcast. Anthony here, and on this episode, Nick and I had the pleasure of interviewing Professor Simon Kalia, a doctor of professional studies, and he is part of the computer science program at St. Peter's University. We had a fantastic conversation with Professor Kalia. We, he basically was able to answer all the questions we threw at him pertaining computer science, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cryptocurrency, I can go on and on. I was having a field day with questions, and I really appreciate all the answers that he provided. It was very educational. Nick and I, as I mentioned previously, we really don't have too much of a background in the computer science space. And this podcast, this episode really taught us a lot. And if you are from a business background, not necessarily a computer science background like we were, you would probably learn a lot from this episode too. So we hope you le- listen and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Common Sense Finance Podcast. On this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Kalia. Thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to be here. So we were just discussing your background a little bit before I started recording. Um, For those listening out there, they might not have a full understanding of who you are, your background. So could you provide some insight into your background so the listeners get a better idea of who you are? So prior to coming to St. Peter's University, uh, I was with JP Morgan. Uh, I was there for 33 years. Uh, I was an executive director with JP Morgan Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, and um, I was a head of uh, operations for Commercial Bank. Uh, I was uh, at some point in time head of the performance monitoring application um, development in the, in the new way. Um, so. I was in different roles uh, all over the place. But prior to that, uh, within JP Morgan, I was head of the infrastructure for Treasury Division. During my time, different data centers were built, particularly the one in Tampa and Orlando. So I love JP Morgan. I, there's, I would never leave it, except that uh, my next passion was teach. Uh, about 11 years back, I started teaching at part-time with City University. So I wanted to continue it. So I decided to I convinced my boss. Actually, he was uh, last week uh, with St. Peter's University, Ambrose Narduli. Uh, he was my boss, so I convinced him and his boss that it would be a good thing if I go to teaching. So here I am. And prior to that, I was with Lehman Brothers, as you all know by now. That's interesting. So I know currently you teach in the computer science department at St. Peter's, but it, it sound, from the sounds of things, you kind of started on the business finance aspect um, in, in regards to working with JP Morgan. So how did you make that transition from, you know, a business capacity to that computer science role? Well, I, actually, Anthony, uh, I have a master's in computer science, a doctorate in computer science, but MBA in finance. So I could go both ways. Um, with the JP Morgan, uh, the operations was on the side of the technology. Uh, so most of my role in JP Morgan was technology. Um, and uh, so I would say that I was technology all along, uh, but then as you move up, uh, finance and um, computer science, they tend to meld together. So there's hardly a difference because most of the time you're managing people, but no, I'm, I'm a technologist. And, and, and Professor, to, to just piggyback off of that, how did you go from transitioning with a 
by uh, a bachelor's degree in biology to oh, go yeah, you know into, that. <laughs> to going into finance and cybersecurity. Well, actually, one of the degrees I did not mention, I usually don't put it there, that part of my life I was in Canada. So I went for three years uh, college uh, for finance uh, with the um, electronic data processing, EDP. So uh, that was also there. So that's where the transition took place. In Canada, I moved from biology to business all of a sudden. But um, once I went back to India, I had a technology job. Then I was posted in Europe and Norway. Um, I had a technology job. But when I came here in JP Morgan, while I was working 33 years nonstop with JP Morgan, I was also going to university nonstop. So I, there was never an end to end education. Most of my education was done in JP Morgan. I find that very impressive because I know when it comes to working at a bank like that, you always hear the amount of hours and the amount of workload, the, the huge workload it comes on. So I, I, I give you a lot of props for, for being able to, you know, pursue furthering uh, and further your education while also having a full-time position. I think it's very, uh, very admirable. I also want to, I think, transition to our next point. So you said you worked in a technological uh, field when you worked with JP Morgan. Could you describe what some of the important aspects for a, a financial institution like JP Morgan, what, what's it so important for them to implement proper cybersecurity? Because you hear in the news lately, a lot of banks, a lot of fraud happens, a lot of, not fraud, but a lot of uh, breaches in terms of personal accounts. So what could companies do like that to take the proper measures for cybersecurity? So first of all, you have to understand why people go after banks, because that's where the money is. And why banks have to protect themselves because the whole liquidity in the market, that's where everybody goes for the money besides these uh, thugs. So um, technology, it, banks are one of the major targets, so particularly banks like JP Morgan, um, are major targets because we have a worldwide, we are the largest in funds transfer, largest in uh, automated clearinghouse, largest correspondent bank, you name it, the largest in every single good respect. So um, and definitely everybody would like to have a um, crack at them. Um, the technology, the reliance on technology has been tremendous. They are tools, technology, as the newer technology comes in, um, JP Morgan is one of the first ones to adopt it. So there's no question about that. I, I think that from technology point of view, we are completely geared to the top. Um, but more important, if you look into Target, Target was also um, completely up to uh, mark on the technology, but their team, their people were not fully ready to accept the technology, you know? Uh, every time technology gives you an alert, every time technology tells you there's a problem, somebody has to follow with it. Um, so Target did not do that. And they ignored every single alert and they ran into trouble. And that's part of the reason 40 million credit cards got compromised. JP Morgan, on the other hand, are heavily laced with the technology, but they also have a workforce where they encourage people to go to school where they encourage people to stay up to date, where they're constantly providing training opportunities, telling people what's going on in there and making sure they take upon themselves to make sure that people are fully current on uh, what's going on because the weakest link in the whole process is people. 
And I guess like a follow-up question would be, there are some banks that have repeated incidents of this. I know for example, Wells Fargo had multiple breaches over the, over the past five years. So what do banks like Wells Fargo lack doing? Like what do they not do that corporations like JP Morgan does to protect uh, user data? So Anthony, the issue is uh, you can have all the technology you want. You can have all the resources you want. At the end of the day, it's people which matter. How well the people are, how well educated they are, how responsible they are. Um, you look at me, I left JP Morgan three months, three years back, and I still have rave reviews about JP Morgan. Um, I guess you gotta ask to somebody from Wells Fargo and see how well they speak about it. Um, one thing I know from Wells Fargo is that their management was forcing upon them to do wrong things. They were forcing them to open up false accounts. They were opening up the, to do the, to things which were not um, um, kosher. And that landed them into part of the problem. And that's where I feel that uh, you guys are doing a good job and I wanna make sure that the message goes in there. Um, the better we educate the people, better they are and, and they can perform, they can make JP Morgan out of Wells Fargo, so. <laughs> And, and that's a great response. And, you know, going from that, when you say that, you know, it's always the individuals that, you yes. know, knowledge, how can individuals protect their personal data during normal internet use just from, from, a, from a consumer basis rather than the bank side? So I got to ask you a question. If you have a Gmail account, if you're using Google constantly, if you are using Google host, if you are using Google talk, if you are using Google phone, guess who knows more about you than you do? Google, Google does. <laughs> yes. They put all that information together. So if you are constantly asking every single question, going to Google for that, if you're you know, keeping your emails with Google, if you're doing uh, uh, all your phone calls with Google, then you're gonna have a problem. That, that's a weak point. Also, when you're using a search engine, um, if you're using a Chrome, then you don't use Google's search engine, use Bingo, use uh, um, uh, your uh, service providers in that. So just do mix and match. Don't put all the eggs in one basket. That will do one thing, number one. Number two, never just click, um, always hover your mouse. When you get an email, and if there's an attachment or if there's a, a, a website to click on, a URL to click on, don't be hot fingers and click on it. Move your mouse over there and see what exactly is the whole, what's the name of the URL actually, who's behind the scene. So don't be, don't rush your hands, think through it and, and see what exactly is behind the scene. And that's one of the problems, phishing, phishing, phishing. That's killing people. The more technology we have, uh, the more we are not focused on people. People need to educate them. They need to slow down and they need to know they're being trapped. You know, uh, one of the biggest problems I'm facing uh, is that these days you can, through the artificial engines, you can take a slice of my, now we are talking, you can take my voice and you can program it and you can put words into my mouth. You can say anything you want with my voice. And that kind of thing will happen in the future. So you got to protect, you got to educate yourself. People need to understand that nothing is for free. 
If they are clicking on something to get a free award, there's a bigger hook on it. Number one, and never. Number two, anytime when your technology, anytime when somebody is pushing you to do things faster and better, stay away from them. So social engineering, um, be careful about it. What you see on your Facebook, what you do on, on any of these medias, be careful because anything you put on the internet will never die. It will haunt you five years down the road, 10 years down the road. Never say something for which you will be sorry. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. Long answers, but... Uh, <laughs> It's funny, we, were, we spoke with Professor LaCava the other day, and he mentioned uh, phishing through text messages. And I'm only familiar with phishing through emails. But yeah. as soon as we finished, since we have spoken to him, I've received two phishing texts over yeah. that time span. So it, it does happen. Yeah. I just found that kind of, uh, it was, it was a, a funny it's, coincidence. It's, mm -hmm. People are, as a, you know, the, the, the people are smarter people who are sending you these messages. Remember, the more people they make victimize, the more money they make. And so they have to be smarter than uh, other people. But more importantly, they rush on you to do the things in there. That you gotta be careful. What else is on your mind? So I think you made a good point about how, you know, these people who are trying to steal your data, they're getting smarter, they're getting more technologically advanced. I think corporations are also kind of seeing this technological advancement. So in your opinion, what rising technologies do you think are the most influential for business businesses going forward? Like what new technologies do you think businesses are going to adapt and run with over the next few years? You don't, no matter which technology you adopt, technology also always have a risk. So one of the biggest things which is coming as we speak is taking place is the IOTs, Internet of Things. You know, your cameras are IoT based, your televisions IoT based, your refrigerator is IoT based, your washer is an IoT based. Every single device in the hospitals, your heart monitor, your respiration monitor, they're all on the internet and they're being remotely managed. So if somebody can manage it from the hospital, somebody can manage it from the outside remotely as well. So any technology which, which is good for you can hurt you, it has its own risks. I think that uh, there is a more advanced technology. There are incremental technologies, advancements coming in. You're not going to see any um, disruptive technologies, you will see incremental changes. Um, you will see better systems to monitor, to isolate the problem, and to neutralize any uh, rogue elements in there. So you will see those kind of things in there. Um, so I see a more advanced uh, uh, in, intruder de detection and prevention systems, IDPS. I see more uh, uh, artificial intelligence software tools will help us to find out where the problem areas are coming in there and how to go and neutralize them. I see that one in there. But at the end of the day, you can have all the technology you want to. It's the people which make you success or failure. The biggest risk is coming in there is not technology necessarily, it's the people. 
the insider's threat. And and Professor, you know, given with the global pandemic we have now, you know, what are some some ways? I mean, this you know piggybacks off of what Anthony you know asked, but in terms of workforce, now that we are in a pandemic and everyone is working from home, you know, what are some you know tech that people can you know invest in today to secure themselves, like you know either with a VPN or VMware. So, I mean, it's interesting that the whole America is on disaster recovery or contingency planning as we speak. Everybody can work from home. Uh, so, so that's definitely, that has a, that tells, that's a good story to tell that we have come long way, 10 years down the road. Um, I think that VPNs, you will see some further improvements. Again, as I said, that nothing disruptive is going to come anymore. You know, we saw things that, you know, that there was a sea change. You will see changes coming in, marginal or, or, or incremental changes coming in there. Um, I, I see, um, if you just look into, if you tell me 10 years back that you and I will be talking, three of us will be talking on a video conferencing without any hitch, I think people will be surprised and shocked. So there's a definitely, improvement of the networks. I think what, what, what you're going to see is, and the current administration is working on it, is, is broadband and having a fifth generation wireless network technology in there, better in cryptography, better encryption techniques in there. You will see that, but more importantly, the quantum computing coming in. Um, those are the changes which you will see in the technology coming in and people getting used to it. I don't know if that answers your question. No, 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 100%. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. So I, I have another question. So I think Nick and I follow a lot of stock market news, finance news, and we constantly hear how, oh, in the next year or two, 5G is going to completely change how we see technology. And there's other technology out there like blockchain. Are, are these really more buzzwords to get people excited? Or should we look forward to these types of technological advancements in the near future? Oh, they're not buzzwords. No, they're, they're not buzzwords. 5G is, is a real thing. Uh, you know, if you just look back, uh, you, how long you've been working on your iPhone or, or your phone, if you look back, 10 years back, there was, everything was a clear text. Nothing was encrypted. Whatever you say, everybody can read it. Now the technology these days, which is coming in, um, you know, just, just imagine the amount of data which can travel. That is the third, fourth, fifth generation of uh, tra traffic moving is great. Look into Bluetooth, you know. The biggest technology deployment is going to be coming is into the motor vehicles, in the cars. Uh, you will see just like every house has become a network center these days, everybody has 10 devices at home. You're gonna see the same thing in the cars also. So with the 5Gs, of course, you will see more installations, more deployments, things which have no network, you will see more and more network going in there. So 5G will have a major role. As far as the blockchain is concerned, that's, that's a big hope. That's a big, not only you will see transactions being monitored constantly, I see uh, a major advantage of blockchain to be removing the corruption. Uh, I see that uh, blockchain will be used 
to eliminate corruptions in the third world countries. So there's, they are not buzzwords, they're genuine. Um, could you uh, elaborate though? So how would you think that blockchain could eliminate corruption in third world countries? Because I know, at least when I read, I know there are some third world countries that are considering uh, banning cryptocurrencies. And I know that's very, they're, they're dependent on blockchain. So uh, how would you think that it would eradicate uh, corruption? So if you look into it, um, most of the times, um, yeah, I was just talking to somebody in India that uh, the tremendous, tremendous severe injections are in shortage. You can't buy them. You can't get them uh, in India. Guess where they manufactured them? Guess where they invented them? In India. So what happens is that people create shortage. People create um, uh, a, a, a situation where things are there. They're full of warehouses, but they're not there. You can't get them. So when you can document everything and everybody has everybody else's record, everybody knows there were 10,000 items built by the manufacturing center and only two items got sold. Where are the other 9,898 items? So that's what will bring the data will come out front. People will have more visibility to, to data beyond their immediate reach. That will remove some corruption in there. People will see, people will have more visibility into transactions, um, in real life transactions. So you will see that. And I guess another question, I'm, I'm sorry, because I have a lot of questions related to- Keep asking uh, them. I'm here till six o'clock with you. <laughs> um, so I know blockchain kind of has a, a negative connotation to it sometimes because it's associated with, you know, dark web, black market transactions, specifically in regards to cryptocurrency. Is that kind of just uh, a negative myth, like a, a myth, like a stigma? And that shouldn't really be looked like, that shouldn't really hold much weight? Well, that, that's a purely, uh, you know, if you look into it, who was using these crypto coins? Basically drug dealers, people who were doing underhand deals, people who didn't want to pay taxes and they knew the government has no reach to that. Those were the people who were using it, right? Um, but as the technology becomes more prevalent, as it becomes more durable and, you know, JP Morgan starting their own, uh, uh, um, they're, they're investing heavily into blockchain. Uh, they are starting their own crypto coins. So as you have currencies of different countries, you will have crypto coins of various other agencies. I, this will become a very common scene. Um, um, I, I think it's only a matter of time. You will see within the next two years, uh, blockchain will become a, a, a more house common name and people will start respecting it right now. Most of the transactions you see is the drug dealers, or people who are hiding money, things like that. One that will that will go away. And then I guess another question would be, I think I've seen comparisons to the crypto space now to how the dot com bubble was in, in regards to the stock market in the two thousands, where all these tech companies came out of nowhere, and then ninety percent of them went out of business, and only ten percent survived. Some people are saying that a lot, there are a lot of cryptocurrencies on the market right now, but only a handful are actually going to be viable options over the next 10 years or so. Where, do, where yeah. would you stand on that? I, I think that, you know, competition always, you know, it, it evens out. Uh, the best will survive. 
uh, most well-funded will survive. Um, so I, I'd say the same thing in there. I, I think that uh, best will always survive. A any technology which is supported by another corporation or which is, you know, that's why you notice that people who are well into market, you know, for example, JP Morgan coming into cryptocurrency, into blockchain in there, that simply tells you that they're not going to invest their money in, in something which is a, a, a futile exercise. Yeah, I think the institutions coming in really gives a lot of reassurance to yeah, those. Who are... this, this guarantees their future viability. Mm -hmm. uh, a question that I would ask, um, and I don't know if you're able to answer it, but you know, there's a lot of news on how the IRS is going to, you know, start looking into uh, uh, individuals with cryptocurrency. You know, the sale and buying. So you know, they call it the hidden treasure of the community. Um, that, that's their uh, like task force name for it. How, how do you feel of, you know, the IRS and the government, you know, kind of regulating the sale, you know, tracking sales of uh, cryptocurrency in the world? You know, the law enforcement people are always behind technology. They will always be um, catching up. So, mm -hmm. yeah, five years down the road, they may be able to do it. Right now, they are still working with MS-DOS. They're still working with whole technology. They're still working with COBOL programs. They need to get out of it. So I'm not losing my sleep over it. So I guess another point we can talk about is you mentioned vehicles and how you know vehicles are kind of the next frontier when it comes to huge technological yes. advancements. So what, what are your thoughts about self-driving vehicles, like the aut autonomous vehicles, like Tesla? That's their, their whole their whole uh, brand is, okay, we're gonna try to have uh, self-driving vehicles on the roads in the next 10 years. So where would you stand on the viability of that? I feel good about it. I think hopefully we will be able to get rid of some bad drivers uh, because um, I, I trust uh, technology better in that respect. What I'm worried about is the cyber, uh, miscreant cyber attacks. So as I said, that technology comes with a, a risk. So while we will have um, cars which will be able to predict uh, what's the problem to come in, where do they need to repair um, kind of self-healing cars or self-repairing cars um, and self-driving cars, we already also see that these cars being a part of a a network, moving network, which is connected to the satellite, which is connected to the 5G network, which is connected to your house, will also be prone to cyber attacks. That's where I see some issues. Uh, we've seen 10, 15 years back that Toyota had a problem. You know, we see people's uh, uh, Porsche's, uh, uh, the head, uh, you know, the sunlight, uh, the the uh, roof light uh, roofs go open up or the doors open up. That's because they all are networked. And if somebody gets hold of their connection, they can cause problems, you know? That's, that's, a, that's a very scary possibility, especially when it comes to a vehicle. And I just think, I guess the, the next question would be how, I'm trying to phrase this correctly. Um, 
I think many people think like, you know, cyber warfare could be a very, you know, legitimate possibility into the next future. Like the next, the next, yeah, so the next global conflict might not be a physical conflict. It might be one through technology. So yeah. how, how realistic of a possibility would you think that is, you know? I think we are going through it right now. If you see the attack on solar winds, um, uh, attack on uh, Target, attack on uh, Home Depot, attack on Aquafax, they were able to steal 143 million people's credit reports. Uh, if this is, they are getting into people's pockets, they are getting into people's personal lives. So that is, uh, and trust me, somebody from New York is not doing that. Somebody from China, somebody from Ukraine, Russia, they are doing all these things. So we are already into it. I think it's too late to worry about it. The question is, how well are you to defend ourselves and how well we can go in and, and uh, be offensive so the other people don't even dare to do that. At the end of the day, it's the people. How well are they trained? How well are they educated? And I guess the follow-up to that would be, if someone were to get your data and there's a huge a breach, like you mentioned, all those companies that uh, underwent data breaches, what harm could these hackers do to personal data? What could they do with this information? What just imagine if somebody who's sitting right next to you acts as an Anthony Green colleague and says, okay, by the way, he applies a credit card on your behalf. He applies a mortgage application on your behalf. He takes over your whole identity. That not that a scary thought? So when people build a profile on you, people have, they know all about you. They could literally build another person with your profile in there and start taking advantage of it and simply take you out of the picture. That's a scary thought. That's what people need to be. People need to start educating themselves. People need to start saying things into them that this, this, this is a major, you know, say major issue. We need to be careful what we say to people, what we write on, what we write on the Facebook, what we tell people on the telephone as they make phone calls, prank phone calls, and they're very careful. Your passports, you want to make sure people don't steal uh, and reuse your credentials. Yeah, I think it's very fascinating because I think people tend to have a very optimistic opinion when it comes to tech. And I think they should, you know, technology can open a lot of doors, but I think we should have that, that cautiousness too, when, when it comes to how much, like you said, how much you put online, where we put yeah. our information, what we disclose to whom. So I think there's a lot of things you have to take into, into account before you just go free reign on te with technology. Technology is a good servant, bad master. You wanted to make sure that it works for you and doesn't go the other way around. Make sense? Definitely. And I think, um, I, did have, I did have a few more questions. So I think something else that's been fascinating me, I guess, is artificial intelligence. And I, that's another one of those, I guess, buzzwords, uh, if you will, amongst, you know, the news, you, you constantly hear AI, and like VR, these being thrown around, what are the possibilities of that could be provided uh, through the use of artificial intelligence? So, so question I have, it's not the artificial intelligence I'm worried about. It's the artificial stupidity I'm worried about. That anytime there's a light, there's a darkness, it always moves it together. 
uh, artificial intelligence uh, can be used to do tremendous amount of research, particularly with faster compute, computing technology coming in. You could do things much better, much faster. Uh, you could do research, get rid of a lot of diseases. But by the same, if that technology goes into the wrong hand, that person could be sifting data, uh, could be stealing data and sifting it for the uh, wrong purposes for the humankind. So it goes both ways. Depends who has it. It's not the artificial intelligence, it is who has it. And then another question would be, so I think artificial intelligence you see is already starting to take over a lot of lower end jobs. You see a cashiers automated. And I think that's probably going to, an it's going to increase over the next few years or so. How, how much of an impact do you think this could have on the job force? Do you think the rise of artificial intelligence will lead to unemployment or will it create new jobs that aren't even in existence now? So Anthony, when you were a young kid, uh, the jobs which were in big demand were key punch operators, typists, stenotypists. Do you see those jobs anymore? You don't see anybody, you don't see anybody hiring a typist who just types the letters for you. So those were very hard demanding jobs. Uh, they're gone, but now people are uh, doing their own typing. People are doing their own recording. High-tech jobs will come in. Better paying jobs will come in. People will use technology to be more productive, to do things faster, better. So I'm not worried, I'm hopeful. I think that we will have simply smarter, better doing jobs rather than just going in doing number crunching and doing typing letters and doing taking shorthand scripts. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm and and th that's definitely a great transition to our last question where, where you say, you know, the typist jobs are, you know, phasing out and new jobs are coming in. Right. Um, in this current job market, what advice yeah. would you give students currently looking for a job in the given, you know, pandemic situation? So I would say three things. One, networking, networking, and networking. Get on with it. Be part of the linked. Be part of the any network you have. You know, anytime you meet somebody, uh, try to see how they are connected to. If you look into it, everybody is connected to somebody else who's connected to somebody else. If we start going into the human networking again, we will find out that we are a lot closer to jobs than we think. So networking is very important and networking in the area of interest, right? If you are working, for, looking for a job in the hospital and making friends into the stock market may not be that helpful. You gotta be careful what where you're making the networking. So you need to focus on the networking, the area you want it. Number one. And number two, don't expect the job to come to you. You have to go to the job. Um, so if there are 10,000 people looking for a job, how do you tell people that you are the one and not the other 10,000 people? So you need to constantly market yourself. You constantly need to advertise yourself. You constantly, you know, if you have an entry with somebody, make sure you leave 
a, a write a note back if you note made made any observation if you talk to them if you found something good about it reach out to people you know everybody is a salesperson i don't need to tell you that the biggest sale in your life is you when you sell yourself so people need to sharpen their skill set be a better salesperson and start telling them what is good about them and the third thing is that um when you are you, you're using technology right um focus on it focus on whatever you're doing it work on the cutting edge technology but don't forget the other technology because lot of at the end of the day you know if you find out people who are in very important jobs they are probably least educated in technology so you need to learn communicate how do you communicate with technologists versus non technologists how do you bring them together at the end of the day everybody wants to nobody wants to look stupid they want to want you to talk like that so that they understand it you want to be the it do not a person who can interact with this side and this side higher side and lower side non technology and technology so you need to know constantly whatever you're saying you can communicate properly communications internet working and making sure that you are reaching looking for a job and the job is not looking for you i just one quick follow up question so i you you come from a technological background what necessary uh, technological skills do you think would be beneficial for someone entering the workforce like i guess i guess specifically in a business major like for nick and i what kinds of computer skills technological skills would be beneficial entering the business world so you know um people uh if you look into it the 90% of the work in corporate america is being done in productivity tools right the people write in email so you need to need to know the email the word the powerpoint the excel 90% of the work happens within excel powerpoint and uh, word and emails so you need to be very good at the product that's why they call them productivity tools so you need to be good at that um you need to be have the ability to take data from different directions in there and craft it in a understandable fashion know your audience very important you need to know your audience you need to you know sometimes there's a complex data here and, and there's a person who no has, has no idea you need to be able to take that and connect it into a readable form understandable form to that person i would say that should be good enough that's a makes sense yeah it makes sense and i i honestly i think it's a good way to end the episode i think i learned a lot from this episode nick I, i'm sure you did as well definitely yes <laughs> i honestly this is this, this is the the most amount of questions i've asked on an episode because i was just i was i was learning so much from you so i really we really appreciate you coming on to the, the podcast it means a lot yeah, but one of the things i again i would highly recommend and i stress that the weakest link in america in corporate america is the people there are two courses i teach one is insider's threat 
and one is the cyber crime. I think that people need to start looking into St. Peter's University and the resources we provide. We are a, a university, we have class sizes of very small classes in there. We know people's name, we teach them in there. And inside this threat class, we bring mentors from the outside world, high exact executives into the class to have people interact with it. The weakest link in this whole game is people. And that's what we are in, educating them, training them, making them feeling better. Thank you very much, guys. Reach out to me anytime you want, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you. Thank you so Thank you. much, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Nick and I are not certified financial professionals. This podcast is for educational uses only. It should not be used as the basis to buy or sell a security, nor is it the offer to buy or sell a security.